Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies, or die trying. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. We are one week into the Death Race, with 38 days left to go. Uh, I took a quick break from Death Racing this past weekend to watch some Sundance films virtually. Don't usually. Uh, I actually never have before, since Death Racing in the past has taken up all of my movie time. Uh, and I figure I'll get to any nominees coming out of Sundance eventually, but... A, I think I have a pretty good handle on things this year for the race, and B, the two films I watched seemed like they would be a good, uh, something I'd be interested in other anyway, even if they didn't get good Oscar nominations. Uh, the first was a newer documentary from uh, Ramona SDS, who did the acclaimed A Thousand Cuts film about Maria Ressa, Nobel Prize winner. Um, this one covered the most recent Philippines election. Uh, though, honestly, it serves more like a thousand cuts part two more than anything else. Uh, was a little bit too surface level for my liking. Uh, the other one was the winner of the U.S. Audience Award, Didi, which is directed by Sean Wang, who is actually nominated for this year for his documentary Nai Nai and Waipo. I actually think this one could be a contender at the very least at the at the very least uh, for next year. A Sundance film that has an Asian American uh, semi autobiographical feel to it uh, seemed to have a good track record. See Past Lives, Minari, and to a lesser degree. Farewell. Um, I think this film's strongest chance would probably be Joan Chen for a supporting actress, but we'll see how it does down the line. It did get picked up by Focus Features, so that's a positive sign for this. Uh, there are some other Sundance films that have gotten uh, distribution from Oscar-relevant distributors. Uh, sorry, uh, IFC and Bleecker Street, uh, you haven't won a great campaign Oscar in the past, so not going to count you here. Uh, Netflix got a bunch of documentaries, as expected. Uh, there's a Will Ferrell documentary, Will and Harper, uh, the World Audience Award documentary winner, uh, Daughters, about incarcerated fathers, uh, Skywalkers, which is about death-defying Russian stunt people, um, uh, Iblin, about a, uh, a World of Warcraft gamer who's Parents discover his online life after he passes away at 25 years old. And The Greatest Night in Pop, which is about the making of the song We Are the World. Uh, this was actually already on Netflix. Uh, may watch that later this weekend. Netflix also got the debut feature genre bender, It's What's Inside, for the biggest deal of the festival at about $17 million. Um, let's see, Magnolia picked up the action comedy Thelma uh, from first-time director Joss Mangolin. Um, Warner Brothers picked up the documentary uh, Super uh, Superman, the Chris, Christopher Reeve story. Um, while I'm certain this will be super popular later in the year, um, based on how the Michael J. Fox documentary ended up go- doing this past year nomination-wise, I'm not sure it's going to get a nomination. Um, Amazon MGM picked up the coming of age comedy Mild Ass about a old woman uh, about a woman who meets her older self. Uh, this one was produced by Margot Robbie's production company Lucky Chap. Um, after some competitive bidding, Neon picked up Steven Soderbergh's newest film Presence. Uh, it's a ghost story, but it's from the perspective of the ghost. Um, Searchlight picked up Jesse Eisenberg's sophomore film, A Real Pain, starring himself and Kieran Culkin, fresh off of succession, about two cousins who uh, tour throughout Poland to visit their grandmother and the Auschwitz concentration camp. And then Sony Pictures Classic picked up the fictionalized biopic Kneecap, about the eponymous Irish rap trio who plays themselves, and this film also features Michael Fassbender. Uh, We'll see which of these films end up staying relevant throughout the year to keep enough momentum to be Oscar-relevant. Uh, Awards-wise, the only award show slash Guild Awards worth mentioning in the past week uh, are the nominees for the American Cinema Editors Awards. Um, honestly, it doesn't really set too much life on the editing race. Um, you know, there are two categories for best uh, best film: one for comedy, one for drama, each with five eats. Basically, all ten picture nominees got in, except for Zone of Interest, uh, which probably would have been the sixth dramatic film behind Anatomy, Kills the Flower Moon, Maestro Oppenheimer, and Past Lives. Uh, instead, the ten that round out the ten are rounded out with air in the comedy category. 
Uh, in animated film, the only Oscar nominees are Elemental, Nimona, and Spider-Verse, uh, joined by the Super Mario Bros. and PMNT Muted Mayhem. And in documentary uh, theatrical, the only one making it in is 20 Days in Mario Paul, which is the presumed winner. Uh, looking forward to this week, um, the potential film, uh, ca- the potential categories coming up are the winners of the British Society of Cinematographers, um, and then the DGA winners. Um, uh, probably, actually, that's the only one. Um, DGA winners uh, are on the tenth, which is after next week's episode. Uh, looking at the leaderboards, it looks like more people are getting close to the edge, but still being held up by one or two films. Uh, most likely, I'm betting this is Robot Dreams, which would be my guest. Uh, right now on the OscarsDeathRace.com site, there are seven people with a 100% completion rate, uh, two more since last weekend. Uh, shout out to ATX840, who is also on the DeathRaceTracking.com, as well as Hisoka. Um, on DeathRace Tracking, we have eight total, uh, which is um, three up from last weekend. Uh, ATX840, as mentioned, Savannah and R. Helgren. Uh, myself, I'm at 30 out of 58 films total. Um, 30, 30 out of 53 films total, rather, um, which is good for about 11 out of uh, 111th out of uh, 487 on DeathRaceTracking.com and 170 out of 934 on OscarsDeathRace.com. That breaks down to about 25 out of 38 feature films, 5 out of 15 sorts, 91 out of 120 nominations, and 14 out of 23 categories completing, uh, including all of the above-the-line categories. So what have I watched in the last week? Uh, that is the point of this podcast, after all. Well, after nomination day last week on Tuesday, uh, and then recording my podcast on the Wednesday, uh, I went to the Angelica Film Center on Thursday uh, to watch the German entry for international feature, The Teacher's Lounge. Um, I'll give more thoughts about it in depth uh, when we get to that episode about international films, but it definitely is an excellent selection for the category, almost like a mix of Anatomy of a Fall and a Monster, which is, funnily enough, are two films that uh, could have been nominated for this category but ended up not being selected by their countries. Um, any any case, a worthy addition to the to the race. And then this past this past weekend, my wife and I, you know, it's my wife's birthday actually, so we took a day trip out of the out of the city to try and get to do some bird photography. Um, on Sunday, we got back around noon or so, and then uh, once I got home, dropped off my stuff, I booked it to the Animation First Film Festival hosted by the French Alliance Institute uh, here in in New York, which had a very rare screening of Robot Dreams. Actually, um, uh, I, I uh, as I noted, many people actually had some problem finding it. There's no release date here in the states, um, but I actually got to meet some fellow Death Racers uh, after the screening which was pretty cool. I'm sure many of them hopped at the opportunity to try to catch up here. Um, I won't spoil much, but it is a fun, yet somewhat bittersweet film, um, well worth the nomination, and arguably my favorite of the year. Um, anyway, and then this past week, um, you know, my last this is my last week actually before my uh, employment starts on Monday, so we'll see how that goes. But um, I ended up watching the Netflix nominees I hadn't yet seen, uh, Rustin, Nyad for acting, um, and then The After and Henry Sugar for live action sorts, finishing those categories. Now, as we know, this episode title is about uh, all of the above-the-line nominations and also live-action sorts. Uh, the reason for this is, that, as I mentioned in the past, um, the above-the-line historically, you know, most of them are obviously Best Picture contenders. That's how you end up getting a Best Picture nomination. But, you know, there's usually been about 10 to 12 nominations among maybe 8 to 10 films that are not from Best Picture films. But this year, that was actually rather low. We actually only had five nominations from four films not getting not being in Best Picture. Uh, Coleman Domingo in Rustin for supporting for last for 
for Best Actor, uh, Annette Benning in Nyad for Best Actress, Jodie Foster from Nyad for Supporting Actress, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple for Supporting Actress, and then May December in Original Screenplay. Uh, since we've already talked about The Color Purple and May December in my Best Picture preview episodes, I won't rehash those conversations in depth here. Uh, that being said, an episode of just talking about Dustin and Nyad would be pretty dull, so we'll supplement it with the five live-action sorts as well. Uh, we'll also go through each above-the-line act- above category and see which ones I think should win and which ones I think will win. First up, Nyad. Uh, this one tells the story of long-distance open water swimmer Diana Nyad, played by Annette Benning, who attempts to make the swim from Cuba to Key West without a shark cage at over 60 years old. Uh, this is the feature directorial debut of documentary filmmakers Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai, who are probably best known for their Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo. Jodie Foster also appears in the film as Nyad's coach and friend Bonnie Stoll. Uh, Benning is nominated, as we mentioned, for lead actress and Foster for supporting actress. Uh, starting off with the things I liked about the film, um, I think its technical elements are actually very well done. Uh, the cinematographer here is Claudio Miranda, who was snubbed last year for his Top Gun Maverick work. Honestly, I wouldn't have minded the nomination for cinematography here. Here, um, being able to film in and around water and going up both, you know, there's these shots at the waterline where he is, sometimes it's above water, sometimes it's below water. Super impressive, actually, how clear it looks. Uh, part of this, I think, comes from Chin and Chai's sensibilities about how to frame humans against Mother Nature. You know, doing this. Uh, insanely dis- difficult physical task um, that comes from the documentary work um, I can also admire Benning's dedication to her work here um, apparently she opted to actually not have any stunt doubles for her swimming scenes and as such she does all her own swimming in the film which you know also allows them to get those great shots in, in of her in the water without ac- awkward angles and such to try to hide the fact that it might be a stunt double um, so I think that definitely helps out here um, for, for e- even if I think the overall role especially when she's on land and, and, and trying to be you know, the the acting, the dialoguing, talking parts. Um, it, it wasn't the most and mostly complex. Um, the seal physicality for the role, I think, is worth the nomination and worth consideration. Um, I also say, you know, Jodie Foster, as always, gives an excellent performance, though, again, I think compared to both what, given the, what the film, the screenplay was offering, um, it wasn't really as much as, say, some other films I think could have been in contention for this role. Um, and it, it, she didn't really have as much to work with, unfortunately, but she gives it all her all anyway. Um, as far as what's not great about the film, I mean, the film was okay, but it kind of just was just there um, and didn't really grab me emotionally. I think I was like on my phone for half of it. Um, Nyad as a character just isn't super emotional uh, in general or in- emotional in a way where you can really connect with them. Uh, and in fact, you know, between reading up on about the real life Nyad swim, how it was never officially certified, she has a tendency to exaggerate her accomplishments and talk down other people who have done similar things. You know, even if there is a story in the film about her overcoming this physical challenge, which is somewhat compelling and learning to lean on the rest of the team and have it not just be entirely a solo sport. You know, for so long in the film, she's just so self-centered and so dislikable, which I guess is a good job to betting for capturing that across. But it's just really hard to root for her and made just the film less enjoyable to watch. Um, Overall, you know, I would give this one two out of five stars. You know, I probably wouldn't recommend this to anyone to go see and you know if I hadn't seen this for the death race I probably wouldn't have missed it um, I'm honestly giving it a bump up from one out of five stars just because of the physicality of betting deserves some credit and Miranda's cinematography 
Uh, next up, we have Rustin, which tells the story of civil rights activist Bayard Rustin, played by Coleman Domingo, um, the operations logistics organizer of the famed March on Washington, who is a relatively under-celebrated figure within the civil rights movement uh, due to him at the time being uh, sidelined from the spotlight due to being openly gay at the time, as well as a former communist. Um, this one is a higher ground production from the Obamas, uh, is directed by George C. Wolfe, director of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, here, Coleman Domingo is nominated for his role as Rustin. Now, a lot of people have found this one somewhat lacking, but I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, you know, still not 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 one of the best films of the year, but you know, I think it's passable. I think part of the issue here is that the con- the central conflict and tension in this film, I think, really comes from the infighting amongst the different groups that make up the civil rights movement. And how, you know, Bayard navigates all of them, especially, you know, given the prejudices against him, uh, to get anything, to get this whole thing done. Um, honestly, not like this whole inner party politics thing can make for a good source, good, good, good material, but it wasn't maybe perhaps it wasn't quite as well explained or elucidated in the film who all of these party players were, what their different needs and desires were, and where that conflict is. Um, you know, I... I personally, you know, was a little bit more up to speed because, you know, in the past couple of months or so, I actually have visited Atlanta recently um, and stopped by the National Civil Rights Museum where they had a whole, you know, exhibit about the march in Washington and it had a decent amount to, you know, different players, what Bayer did to actually get everything done. Um, and that was actually pretty impressive to me. Um, so, you know, and, 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 and the fact that I was able to remember some of this, I think, helped me keep up with the speed to the conflict going on. So easier for me to follow. Um, I will say... This is a well-deserved uh, nomination. I think Domingo really signs here. You know, he he brings this the, the Bayer's you know kind of you know more out there personality. Um, his, his, all the fire he has going for it. You know, he definitely has these the Oscar moments where he's giving the speech, um, you know, speeches about how he, how he wouldn't remove him from the organization or organizing of it. Um, I think perhaps his nomination may have benefited by his role in the Color Purple, which you know didn't get a nomination, but there he plays kind of the surly, more mean, uh, and unlikable Mister. Um, which really contrasts his role here and just kind of shows the range he has as an actor. Um, also, I got to shout out fellow nominees, uh, Jeffrey Wright and Divine Joy Randolph, who also are nominated for this year's Oscars and also show up in Weston. So that's pretty cool to see uh, them as uh, we- them there as well. Um, also, interestingly, Chris Brown, uh, Chris Rock was was kind of randomly in there, which is kind of interesting. Um, I-, I also want to shout out the score. The score was pretty engaging, right? Um, even if it wasn't qualified, I-, I don't know if it qualified or not, but you know, the jazz, high-energy music um, kind of captured the feel of the, of the era as as well as kept the movie humming even in scenes where honestly not a lot was going on. I think what the film probably suffered the most and why people didn't quite like it as much is probably the structural screenplay, right? Again, just a lot going on script-wise, uh, kind of loses the context of the broader March in Washington, uh, of the March Washington within the broader civil rights movement. Obviously, it's this one moment, there's the whole Martin Luther King speech that happens there, but people kind of don't know everything else that happens there. Like, all the speeches that go on, you know, it's kind of alluded to, oh, there's this conflict about women not being able to speak out and all that, right? Um, and and kind of like, what, what's it trying to accomplish, right? It kind of mentions it, but then breezes by really quickly, right? I think a little bit more context about why this march was so important was with would have been a little bit nice. It, it again, I was helped by having seen been to the museum recently, but I can definitely see how, in the grand scheme of things, something that felt so enormous in American history of this speech, uh, of this um, of this of this march as a as a landmark moment in American history, just felt really small in scope. Otherwise, if you don't have that context, 
you know, part of it is that, you know, they kind of fast forward the day of the march. You know, a lot of the film is spent in the preparation of the film, in the back end poli- backroom politics of whether Rustin will be acknowledged or not and so on. Um, and then it kind of breezes through. We get maybe like 15 seconds of the Martin Luther King speech, um, maybe some archival footage, but nothing really about the actual day. It's not that much about the day itself, cutting to afterwards when Rustin is cleaning up with, with everyone. He's the, you know, the, the, tra- the one who cleans up trash. Um yeah, you know, I, I would have loved to see a little bit more of the day of execution, which I think is really where that catharsis of look all this planning he put into it, and then it comes together into a successful day could have been I think a little bit more, more elaborated upon. Frankly speaking, you know, I also have mixed feelings on the fictional character Elias, uh, who was kind of created for the film to have somebody for Bayard uh, to play off of with regard to uh, for Rustin to play off of in regard to its homosexuality. Right, I mean, it's important in the script that it shows Rustin accepts who he is, who he is as a person over time, even if he may not have been popular, how many have backfired against him, but he refused to like kind of give that up, um, given, given the, the attitudes of the time. Um, it's important that it was there, but I'm not sure that this was the best execution of that. You know, the fact that, you know, he was basically being a bit of a home wrecker kind of makes him not as, as great of a ta- protagonist to follow. Maybe there's some complexity in there, but it doesn't really hurt, help the case. Um, I, I, I just think that that could have been done a little bit better. I don't ask me how, but that's just my sense. Um, overall, though, I will give Rustin three out of five stars. You know, I saw it enough where I'm not upset that I watched it. Uh, if someone was particularly interested in the civil rights movement, you know, maybe I might recommend this movie to them, especially to learn if they didn't know about Rustin. Um, but otherwise, I wouldn't go out of my way to rewatch this. Now, as I mentioned, you know, with those, I have finished all of the above-the-line categories, directing, acting, and screenplay. So let's just go through each uh, category real quick, recap uh, what I think about each one, um, who's going to win and who should win. Uh, Best Director, Anatomy of a Fall, Color of the Moon, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Zone of Interest. Um, I think who will win is probably Oppenheimer at this point. Um, And and if I had to pick up these five, uh, you know, there's an argument that... uh, Honestly, I wouldn't be upset at any of these wins. Any of these wins would be a, a really great win. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really have a horse in this race, frankly speaking. So I'm just going to say Oppenheimer by default, but anyone could have, could win here. I, I wouldn't be too upset with that. Uh, for Best Actor, we have uh, Bradley Cooper from Maestro, um, Coleman Domingo from Rustin, Paul Giamatti from The Holdovers, Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright from American Fiction. Um, I think it should be Killian Murphy. I think he kind of loses himself in that role, um, and I think it probably will be Killian Murphy. I think the, the momentum is going for him. I could see a world where Giamatti ends up coming in as kind of like a popular, let's spread the love type uh, award here. It's, it's one of the more popular films, uh, but... I just think that Killian Murphy gives like a better, more understated performance that that, that gives it has a wider range of inter, of internality to it. Uh, for Best Actress, Annette Bening in uh, Nyad, uh, Lily Gladstone in Kills of the Flower Moon, um, Sandra Huller uh, in, um, in Anatomy of a Fall, uh, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, and Emma Stone in Best Actress. Uh, this one is a dead dead heat neck and neck, I think, between uh, Lily Gladstone uh, and Emma Stone. I can't really say... I would say if you ask me gun to my head right now, I would probably say it's it will be Lily Gladstone. I think this is too much history going on there. Amazon already has her Oscar. Lily Gladstone will be a, a, a first for, for indigenous or for Native American, like American. Um, Got to shout out, you know, Roma as well. Um, but, you know, Lily Gladstone uh, definitely should get the should get, uh, I think will get the win here. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Emma Stone is able to sneak in the win, depending on how things go with the SAG Awards. Um 
honorable mention, I would say Sandra Huller, right? I, I don't think she has a realistic shot at winning, but I think she would be very deserving of winning here. I don't think uh, Annette Benning or Carrie Mulligan, I think, quite do enough to really get to that level, level here. Um, supporting actor, we have Sterling K. Brown, American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Supporting Actor, Robert Downey Jr. for... Uh, Oh, sorry, Robert De Niro for Kills the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for uh, Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. I just think this one should be Robert De Niro. I think Robert De Niro has just this crazy, cold, one of the best villains I've ever seen in cinema uh, vibe going to him. But I totally understand that uh, it's probably going to go to Robert Downey Jr. at this point, uh, which honestly I wouldn't be fine. I w- I, I'm, I'm completely fine with I think it's close enough that I wouldn't be too upset, but it's. I think I definitely want to give some love to, to Robert De Niro here. Uh, for supporting actress, we have Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for Color Purple, America Ferrera for Barbie, uh, Jodie Foster for um, for Nyad, and then Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. This one is basically already etched in the Oscar for Divine Joy Randolph, and honestly, she should win. I think it's a relatively weak year for supporting actress if these are the nominees. Um, so yeah, definitely would love to see Divine Joy. Looking forward to seeing her win the, the uh, Oscar come come March tenth. Uh, finally, with the uh, screenplay categories, uh, adapted screenplay, American fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Zone of Interest. I think it should be Oppenheimer. I think um, it has the common. So for me, screenplay has three elements. You know, how the, just the, di- the dialogue, right? Is the dialogue interesting? Does it keep my intention? Is it well done? Does it feel naturalistic, realistic? You know, um, Secondly is the plot, right? Does the plot move along? Does the plot have interesting things? Like, does, does the plot move in a way that's interesting, right? Or is it kind of just moving by itself? Does it have, like, the interest, you know, the structure, three-act structure, whatever goes into creating the structure of a plot um, along that lines? Um, third, I guess there are four things. The third thing is, you know, is there interesting thematic stuff going on? So you have the plot going on, but what is it trying to say, right? What is the underlying message and the context and the takeaway from the film and it has to be supported by the screenplay right and and what does the screenplay do to get you to that point um, and then finally the last part I think and this is maybe why I over index and what I like about a screenplay but the structure is a film if a screenplay is structured interestingly mostly non-linearly but you know there are other ways to do it that's not just strictly like you know random order but you know an interestingly structured screenplay I think uh, gives me a lot of bonus points. And for me, I think the screenplay that does this the best uh, is Oppenheimer, right? It has that non-traditional structure. It jumps back and forth between the two things. Um, the the dialogue is, really, is very well done, right? Um, the plot, you know, obviously it, it kind of follows the biopic and follows the life, but it does so in a way where it moves along and naturally makes sense. Um, and then obviously those like, there are the themes that go on with with the way the plot is this kind of unraveled and deconstructed that you come come away with the themes of of you know humanity's power and 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 uh. so yeah I mean I think it definitely should be Oppenheimer now as far as what I think will win I have a feeling that Oppenheimer is just winning so much stuff um, that the, the Academy is going to want to spread the love around and I think if um, if uh, if that's when. Um, uh, uh, Chris Nolan wins for Best Director. They'll want to spread the love out in the uh, uh, screenplay category. And without Martin Scorsese here, um, I think it's most likely they're going to probably give it to, if I had to pick, probably American Fiction, just because I think it over-indexed our nomination day. So there's a lot of love for this film, I think, within the Academy, more so than you would expect. I mean, Sterling K. Brown making it, I think, is kind of like a testament to that. So, yeah, I think uh, it probably will be... I Again, I could definitely see a world where it is Oppenheimer, and I would be very happy with that. I was, I'm just going to go against the grain and say I think American Fiction Haxley has more of a shot than people think.
Uh, and then finally, for original screenplay, we have Anatomy of a Fall, Holdovers, uh, Maestro, May, December, and Past Lives. Um, I think here the clear front runner is Holdovers. Again, similar to American Fiction, it's a feel good story. Um, it, it kind of you know is a, is a very easy digestible film. That's at the screenplay doesn't really do a lot for me in any of the categories that I really talked about. I think the ones that are most interesting in that regard would probably be Past Lives and then Mad Me of a Fall. Past Lives a little bit more on the structure-wise and then also kind of the way the plot is just constructed and the conceit of the film. Um, and I think Anatomy of a Fall is a little bit stronger in the conceit of the film combined with the, um, the how we say... Uh, the themes behind the film, right? And, and how that kind of like all layered together. I think that's what the what anatomy really signs. So either of those two, I would love to see win, but it's probably going to be holdovers. All right, uh, let's wrap up this episode. We're doing a quick lightning round on each of the sort, live action sort. So uh, we, first of all, we have The After, which you can find on Netflix. Um, after losing a family member to a violent crime, a shadowed rideshare driver picks up a passenger that forces him to confront his grief. Uh, this one stars David Oyelowo, who is probably best known for being Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. Honestly, this one just fell flat for me completely. Um, the opening scene that's supposed to be like a tragic, you know, the, the tragic violent crime that they mention, just cartoonishly funny. He couldn't really take the rest of the film seriously after that. And then the second half where he's like a right seal driver and he's driving these different people around. And I don't know, maybe he's being reminded of what normal life is, but he's too busy grieving. Just, I don't get what you're trying to say here. And then he picks up this family that looks like his old family, right? And then like he cries at the end and then he just, gets up and keeps on driving and maybe that's supposed to be a metaphor for oh you keep going after grief it's kind of always going to remind you but it just feels more heartstring manipulatively pull uh, heartstring pulling manipulative than with no real message than or any real reason to exist so yeah i'm gonna give this one a one out of five uh, next up, we have Invincible, which is inspired by a true story. Uh, it recounts the last 48 hours in the life of Marc-Antoine Bernier, uh, a 14-year-old boy on a desperate quest for freedom, directed by uh, his best friend, Vincent René Lorty. Um, this one I found actually pretty touching. The, the acting of the lead performer, uh, his name's Leo Kim uh, Bomier Lapine, uh, is on point, you know, as a kind of like an angry, um, desperate, you know, uh, young, young, young man. Um, the direction and editing, especially how, you know, the first and last sequences kind of intersect with each other. Um, super striking um, and, and it has like clear creative vision going behind it this one leaves you thinking a lot about different topics you know male adolescence mental health incarceration grief and so on so uh, really enjoyed this one I give this one a 4 out of 5 wouldn't be upset to see this one win though I don't think it will um Next up, we have Knights of Fortune. This, the loss of a loved one, the grief, the risk of yellow skin, and the coffin, that is too much for Carl to face. It's much easier to fix a broken lamp. Uh, Carl meets Torben, a destined brother. It's an absurd, humorous, and melodic meeting between two old men captured by grief. Um, this one not slight, This one has the uh, that, that slightly absurdic Nordic humor um, in the short film about grief. Um, I know a lot of people really like this one. I just think that that the Nordist humor doesn't really fit for me. It kind of reminds me of the uh, the international film uh, Fallen Leaves, which didn't get a nomination. Um, but I did end up watching it in preparation. Um, so yeah, it just didn't really connect with me on that level. That said, you know, I can recognize the power this film could have, especially in exploring with how people deal with grief grief different differently. Um, you know, of the three people already mentioned, this is the third one that kind of touches on grief. Um, by far, I think this one does it the strongest. I just think. You know, up to personal taste, I don't think the taste, it, it masked my taste per se. 
I'll, personally, I gave it a three out of five, but could very well be convinced to bump it up to a four, even five out of five, uh, if this happened to be, you know, kind of along my, my vibe. Uh, fourth up, we have red, white, and blue. Uh, when Rachel is forced to cross state lines in search of an urgent and necessary abortion, with her young daughter in tow, she attempts to make the arduous journey into a fun road trip for them both. Along the way, we learn a heartbreaking truth as Rachel confronts a dark secret that means her life will never be the same again. Uh, this one is probably the most directly political of any of these sorts, um, you know, probably in response to uh, the attacks on reproductive rights here in the United States. Um, the screenplay here, especially that twist toward the end, um, you know, is very haunting, very effective. Um, it's a little preachy, if I got to be honest, right? But at the end of the day, this is an important topic. And if there was a category where being preachy is a good thing, I think it's this one. Um, you know, overall, I give this one probably four out of five stars just for how effective you know, its screenwriting is. Uh, finally, we have The Wonderful World of Henry Sugar, uh, a Wes Anderson sort, sort adapting the Roald Dahl story. It's about a rich man who learns about a guru who can see without using his eyes, sets out to master the skill in order to cheat at gambling. It stars Ralph Fiennes, Benedict Cumberbatch, Def Patel, Ben Kingsley, and Richard Ayoade. Um, this one has most of Wes Anderson's tropes in play, which I, you know, again, I just did a watch of all of Wes Anderson's films uh, last year, at end of last year. Uh, you know, the super cinematical and elaborate production design, arguably his best production design actually I've seen in a while um, which is saying a lot um, you know the uh, dried dialogue delivery the nestled plot within the plot within the plot structure and overall just to feel like a modern day parable you know, I can't say this is most the meaning the most meaningful sort among these five certainly not compared to red white and blue that said it does have you know obviously the budget and obviously the production value behind it which makes sense given that this was by Netflix and stars one of the more in-demand directors of Wes Anderson's name um, this is my, the most entertaining of the bunch by far, um, but definitely not the most weighty thematically. Uh, in any case, I have this as my favorite to win the category, um, mostly not because of it's particularly deep per se, but mostly because of the name recognition. And uh, to its credit, it, it does have kind of the best production, though. Again, that kind of comes with the budget. Um, un, you know, unless if 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 the academy feels a little bit more political um, this year, which they very well could, I probably will be red, white, and blue. But otherwise, it's probably going to be a, a, um, a wonderful world of Henry Sugar. Um, I do still need to watch the other three sorts uh, that he made for Netflix, adapting world doll stories, which I'll get to at some point. Um, overall, I'll give this one a four out of five. Uh, and with that, that wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Next week, we'll be looking at the technical categories, assuming I can watch them between my new job starting and all that. We'll see. Um, let me know how your Death Race is going on Twitter at Oscars Death Race, Oscar D Racecast, or via email at Oscars Death Race Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. Uh, if you can leave us a review there or even just share it with a movie-loving friend, any of that is super helpful. Uh, those will be linked in the show notes as long as my letterboxed uh, username, Ninja Boy, boy with an I. Also, be sure to check out the Oscar Race and Oscars Death Race subreddits and the Academy of Death Race Discord, as well as AODR.net, OscarsDeathRace.com, and DeathRaceTracking.com. Music is provided by Kevin MacLeod, adding competech.formers.io, editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paul of the Oscars Death Race podcast. And until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying. Mm-hmm.